0: to giving financially, please visit our website, senecabaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. James, before you go there, go to the last verse of that song where it says, Ere since by faith. Keep going back. Ere since, there we go. Listen to these words, guys. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, Thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. How good is that, church family? This should be the theme of our song, the theme of our days. What? Redeeming love. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die for us. That is good news. That is good news. Thank you, choir, for leading us, Christopher, Jack, for playing today. And so, again, grab your Bible and go to Titus. Now, as we get into Titus, um, let me just remind you where we are. We're in a series called Membership Matters. And we, we say that here at Seneca Baptist because we believe that church membership really does matter and that church membership is incredibly important to God. Here's why we believe it's incredibly important to God. That when Jesus died on the cross, He did not simply die to forgive us from something, but He died to redeem us from something and into something. That when we uh, died to sin with Him, we were then born again into a family, into the kingdom, into the church. That Jesus said, the church is not man's idea, but Jesus said Himself in Matthew chapter 16, I will build what church? My church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so when Jesus died, He died to secure a place for you and me, sinners, in His church by grace, through His redeeming love. And so we are a part of His church family. And we here at Seneca Baptist want to raise the bar of what it means to be a part of a church. And so we have five expectation, expectations at Seneca Baptist of membership. And the five are this. Number one, worship attendance, that we expect that if you're going to be a member of Seneca Baptist Church in good standing, you come to church. And that might seem crazy, but it's important. Um, Number two is Sunday school. It's where the big church gets smaller. It's where you build relationships, love one another, study the Bible, take care of one another. It is where we become family like never before. Three is generosity. And we talked about a couple weeks ago that Generosity is a tool of God to make us more like Him, who gave Himself for us. That it sets us free from idolatry, and it's not that we want something from you, but that God has great things for you, and generosity is a doorway into that. Fourth is service. Last week we looked at the story in Exodus that each one of us are called by God, filled by the Holy Spirit, and empowered for service. You and I have spiritual gifts that He has given us for the good of the church, and we must utilize those things for the upbuilding of the church. And today we're going to look at this thing, uh, the last one is affirm the Baptist faith and message. We're not going to spend much time on the Baptist faith and message, because that might be new news to you, you've never heard about that thing in your life, but uh, really what we're going to talk about today is sound doctrine. Now, the Baptist faith and message comes in a little packet that looks something like this. It's just a little booklet. We have a few of them out on the Welcome Center. If you'd like one of them, take one. You can also find it online. Um, But the Baptist Faith and Message is kind of a summary of core beliefs of the Southern Baptist denomination. Now, there are lots of beliefs because the Bible is a pretty long book, right? But this is the core tenets of the faith. We believe wholeheartedly that the Bible is our scriptural authority, and there is nothing that supersedes the scriptures. But we also hold that maybe this, uh, the way I liken it, is the Baptist faith and message is like a creed to us. It's a creed, it's a set of doctrines that are pulled together, and that's what we're going to look at today for a moment, and then we're going to talk about sound doctrine. Why? We, it's important for us to believe sound or healthy or good doctrine. Now, grab your Bible. In your Bible, Titus chapter 2, let's read 1 to 10. It says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what's good, so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled pure working at home kind and submissive to their husbands that the word of god may not be reviled likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not may, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us verse 9 Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray really quickly. Father, this is Your Word, written by Your Holy Spirit, and so we're asking, Father, that You would send Your Spirit to be our teacher. Convict us of sin, lead us to righteousness, and transform us to be like Christ. And as Psalm 119 says, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, question for us here today as we start is, why is truth so important in our modern day? Why is truth so important in our modern day? Now, I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but our world has lost its mind. Have you noticed that? Okay, all right, good, all right, good. We, it's lo- lost its mind um, because the world in which we live has done a few things. Number one, it has made truth relative. Have you noticed that? Which what I mean by that is what's true for you is not necessarily true for me or anybody else. That you can have truth and I can have truth and it doesn't really matter if those true truths collide, it's still both of them are true two plus two is four for you, but it's seven and a half for me, right? And and we, we have just fallen off into this ditch of that truth can be relative. Truth can be relative, or it's based on experience. It's true because of your experience with it, which is also a dangerous ditch, okay, to fall off into. And that's why even worship... That is based on solely experience is a dangerous kind of worship, and that's why Jesus instructed us to worship in spirit and in truth. So, truth is not relative, it's not based on experiences. uh, But in our culture, what happens is truth has changed as the culture has changed. Have you noticed that? What was acceptable in the day is not, or is what was not acceptable in the day is now very acceptable. It's very acceptable. And so the morals have changed. Truth has changed. and now there's this push that even Scripture has to adapt and evolve to the world and culture that we live in. And that can't be further from what should happen. Truth, some people say it's based on how I was raised. It's based on how I was raised. Now this is where we begin to meddle with the church a little bit, because you would say, well, how do you know what you believe is true? and you say, I was raised that way, and that's a really bad argument, because other people in your culture were not raised that way, and if I wasn't raised the way that you were raised, and and my truth is different than your truth, we're back to step one, where truth is now relative, right? It can't be based on your upbringing. And sometimes, even inside the church, we have learned to just simply regurgitate what I've been taught, rather than to do the hard work of searching the Scriptures to find out what God's Word really teaches and that I'm believing it, not because somebody's told me, but because I have found it in the Word myself. We have become a lazy church. And I don't just mean Seneca this, but I mean people, churches in general. This book is a treasure of wisdom. And we have failed to search it. I read a great article about truth from Miss Gloria Jepson. She passed it forward to me yesterday, and there was this, this quote um, in it. And, and, and the article really says there are the main ways that God speaks to you, and, and one of them is creation, and the other two are revealed to us through the Word, through the Word of God. This is how God speaks to us. And there's a, a quote by Burke Parsons, and I think it's on the screen, Mr. James, but he says this so many are looking for. Special revelation from God, while it sits on their shelves gathering dust. I'm going to say that again. So many are looking for a special revelation from God, while it sits on their shelves gathering dust. So, today as we begin, we're going to talk about the Baptist faith and message just a minute. And what I love about the Baptist faith and message is that it's relatively unchanged since its inception. And here's what the way the Baptist faith and message starts, right here. It's on the screen. This is what it says about God's Word. Read it in your minds as I read it out loud. It says, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It's a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, it goes on, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. Now, when, when we um, talk about the Word of God, even our own Baptist faith and message is subservient to the Word of God. And our Baptist faith and message, although based on the Word of God, is a work of human hands. Not perfect. But God's Word is. God's Word is. So what do we mean when we say expectation number five, affirm the Baptist faith and message? Now, before I get to what we mean, let me talk what I don't mean. We understand that, that people have come from many different kinds of Christian backgrounds, and some are brand new Christians. All right? We how many of you are not from Oconee County? Okay, that's a lot of folks. Okay? How many of you did not were not raised in a Baptist church? Okay, that's a lot of folks. And so what that means is there's a lot of different backgrounds. And as we've had ten baptisms thus far over the past handful of weeks, we've got new Christians also. So what we're not saying is that we expect you to fully affirm the Baptist faith and message even if you weren't raised this way, nor do you understand what it means or says. But what we are saying, we want you to believe to fully believe the Baptist faith and message because we believe it's biblically true. And we want to disciple you to a place where you can fully affirm the Baptist faith and message with a whole heart. So, if you're in leadership, if you are teaching in any way, whether that's adult Sunday school or children's Sunday school, or teaching a Bible study, we expect you to affirm, to affirm and agree with and teach what accords with the Baptist faith and message. But for members who are not teaching, we expect you to come under this body of doctrine. Uh, Come under it. It's what Seneca Baptist believes the Bible teaches. And it is how we are identified as a Southern Baptist church, in good standing. Or, I heard a quote this week, and and, um, I guess here's what we want for you. Uh, I heard a quote that says, Real truth will always move you from something you understand to something you stand under. Real truth is will, will move you from something you understand to something you stand under. And that's our desire for you with a Baptist faith and message. Is it not just be something you understand, but something one day you come to stand under. Okay? So, now, let me dive in. Sound doctrine. Titus chapter Uh, one and two. So the first thing I'm going to let you know about three things out of this passage uh, about sound doctrine. Number one is sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility. The pastor's chief responsibility. Now, in your Bible um, and on the screen, we're going to have chapter one, verses five through nine. And this is what uh, Paul says to Titus. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in, into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children, are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility. There are three words in this uh, passage to describe the word pastor. Pastor, elder, overseer. Pastor, elder, elder, overseer. In the text, they're all the same office. All the same person. Just three responsibilities roles and responsibilities of that person. So sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Sound means healthy. Sound means healthy. Simple as that. Reliable. Trustworthy. Doctrine is the core beliefs that are held by a group of people. So when we say sound doctrine, we're talking about believing healthy Teaching or having healthy biblical beliefs. That's exactly what we're talking about. And Paul instructs in this passage young Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular. Now, a lot of Baptists, we freak out when we hear the word elder, but just remember, remind yourself that an elder is a pastor and a pastor is an elder, an overseer is an elder and a pastor, etc. Are you with me? So don't let that bother you. A pastor a pastor. And so here in this passage, he gives criteria of what that, pastor's, um, uh, what that pastor should look like. And he talks about his home in verses 6 and 7. He talks about his character in verse 7 and 8. And he talks about his ministry and job description in verse 9. In verse 9, he talks about his home. Why does he talk about his home? Because the idea is that if a, a pastor cannot manage his home well, how's he going to manage the family of God well? character. Because as we're going to talk about in a few moments, the character of the man of God matters. It matters because the character of the man of God will um, either undergird or chip away at the teaching of sound doctrine. And then he talks about his job description in verse 9. It says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it so the sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility why why because in our world and in titus in paul's world there were sources of error there were sources of error to write this passage down first timothy chapter four verses one and two there are three sources of error in this passage we're not going to have time to read it today it's not my my main point but three sources you can write these down one is deceitful spirits deceitful spirits that means there are evil forces in the heavenly places in the unseen world that exists around us that are trying to deceive us that satan's name is the deceiver He is a liar. He is the accuser of the brothers. And Satan wants to deceive you from believing what is true to believing in the lie. He wants to take God's word and twist it. So deceitful spirits. The second is deceitful teachers. There are false teachers in this world. And they claim the name of Jesus and they ascend into a pulpit on any given Sunday. And they teach what does not accord with sound doctrine. And there are teachers that are deceitful. And if you'd like a list of names, please come see me. I will tell you who not to Google and YouTube and listen to in any way, shape, or form. But there are false teachers. Be wise of who you listen to, of who you give your ear to, because who you give your ear to, one day you just might give your heart to. So deceitful spirits and deceitful teachers, and then deceitful consciences. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but one day in time, our country was a country of morals. You remember that day? Those were the days. You remember that song? Okay. Um, some of you will have to talk to somebody older than you, okay? Um, there, our country was once a country of morals. We had morals. We lived by them. But what's happened over time is that those morals have been silenced. Silenced. Those consciences have been cauterized and seared. And so what once was a moral standing in our country, those morals, because of peer pressure, have been done away with. And now that moral hard line has become more of a suggestion. And so we think about our country as being morals, moral, but at this moment, our country is anything but a country living under morality. Why? Because silenced consciences and morality. Because of seared consciences. Deceitful spirits, deceitful teachers have given. And this is why we want to teach you what accords with sound doctrine. This is why we work so hard to say what is true. This is why we... we, we when I teach, I don't give you my opinion. I open the Bible and said, see what it says? I want to point you to Scripture as the authority. It, what Ryan thinks doesn't matter. And if any Bible study that you sit in says, what does this mean to you? It's a dangerous place. That is not the question of Bible study. The question of Bible study is not what it means to you. But what did God mean when he wrote this? There's a big difference, because what it means to you might differ from what it means to you. But when they, we say, what does it mean to God? It does not change. We want, to, we want to fight against the forces in the world, whether it's deceitful spirits, deceitful teachers, or silenced morals. We want to, we want to fight against that week by week. Well, Ryan, I'm old. I grew up in the church. I know what I believe. And can I just say, even you, no matter how old you are, how long you've been in the church, even you need to be encouraged and strengthened day by day till Jesus comes back for you. Parents and grandparents, this is why when you have children in your home, it is of the utmost importance that you 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 pour over your children at home. Sound doctrine, read the Scripture to them. Pray the Scripture over them. Take them to church when you have them. But it's hard. Yes, everything good is hard. We want to protect your souls right here at Seneca Baptist by declaring the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God for salvation. And we want to disciple you in the truth of God's word, we want to give you diet, a just a buffet here at Seneca Baptist of Sound Doctrine. That's what we want to do. Why? Because strong Christians are built on a strong foundation. And the strong foundation is not me. The strong foundation is God's word. So it's the pastor's chief responsibility. Second thing that I want you to see in Verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2 is that sound doctrine produces sound behavior. Sound doctrine produces sound behavior. Have you ever wondered why there's such sin within the churches of God? I need you to look at me, and if you can't look at me today, I'm putting air quotations around churches. God will know which church is His. They call themselves churches and sin abounds. Why is that? You will almost always see sin increase as you see doctrine decrease. Almost always. When you let the importance of biblical doctrine begin to slide, you will see a willingness to allow sin to enter. What was once rejected was later tolerated. What was once tolerated is then accepted. What was once accepted will one day be celebrated. Even in, quote, churches. Chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, now Paul is talking to me as the pastor, shepherd, overseer, elder, he's talking to me. And he's talking to Titus. But he's also talking to you if you have any teaching role of any kind here at Seneca Baptist or anywhere. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what, that's, your, that's your job responsibility. That's our job responsibility right here at Seneca Baptist is to teach what accords with sound doctrine doctrine. And then he goes on, as he brings up a number of groups of people. Uh, in verse 2, he talks about older men. In verse 3, he talks about older women. In verse 4, he talks about younger women. and 5 also, in verse 6, he talks about younger men. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, or in verse 9, he talks about bond servants. And, and so the idea of bond servants could mean slave. It could also mean Uh, One who was a worker of some kind. Bosses and workers. Now, I just need to know. Old women, young women. Old men, young men. um, Bosses and workers. Has he left anybody out? You cannot identify as something other than those categories, okay? You cannot. And what he says is, teach what accords... With sound doctrine, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Why? Because sound doctrine produces sound behavior. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God might not be reviled. Why? Because sound doctrine produces sound behavior. Verse 6, the younger men be self-controlled. And then he turns to Titus in verse 7 and says, Show yourself in all respects, probably as a younger man, to be a model of good works. And in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? Because sound doctrine produces sound behavior. And then he goes on in verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? Because sound doctrine produces sound behavior. Have I said that before yet? It's true. Sinful behavior in my life is always related to my view of God, His Word, the world, salvation in the end times. The way that I behave, the way that I live, the way that I make decisions are always theological in nature. I act a certain way because I believe certain things. I believe certain things about God and that either gives me license to sin or a freedom to trust Christ and to obey Him. Because what I believe matters. What I believe here will eventually turn into values in my heart That will guide and shape the way that I live and act. Look at our country. Look at our churches. We've pushed God out. We've pushed His Word out. We've pushed sound doctrine out. And what's happened? Romans 1. God has given us over to our sinful passions. Our dear brother, Pastor Samuel Adams, um, says it this way. He says... The problem is not when the boat is in the water. I think I've said this before. The problem is when there's water in the boat. The problem is not when the church is in the world. The church was made to be in the world. The problem is when the world is in the church. When we let the values and beliefs and doctrine of the world infiltrate His church, the church begins to sink. It is so important for us. And this is why we clearly state we want people of the world. We want lost people. We want people from all backgrounds and all denominations. We want people who don't believe in Jesus, who are atheistic, who are agnostic. We want, I want homosexual people to come to Seneca Baptist Church to hear God's word. I don't care who they are, what background they have, or what sin struggles they are coming into our church with. We want them here. But the world, the beliefs of the world cannot impact what the church holds true and teaches. And it will get harder. The pressure of the world will get harder on the church as the day draws near. We want every single person, no matter their sin struggle, to come in the doors to find a welcoming, wondrous, grace filled community and to hear the truth of God's gospel that has the power to save them from whatever sin they are entangled to. When they're saved, we don't expect them to clean up overnight. We want to see God work in their life little by little to save them and sanctify them from that sin struggle. And we want to walk with them faithfully, point, faithfully, pointing to something that is true that doesn't change. It's not my thoughts about your sin, but here's what God's word says: Sound doctrine. Man sound doctrine, our our doctrine is set in stone. The Word of God has been unchanged since it was written. And we believe it. We want to teach it. Why? Because we believe that sound doctrine by the work of the Holy Spirit inside every one of His people will begin to produce sound behavior. If If what you believe does not change how you live, you are lost. You don't actually believe what you say you believe if it doesn't affect how you live your daily life. I heard it called, not too long ago, practical atheism. It means you believe that there's a God who exists, but you live as if He doesn't. That's not biblical Christianity. And biblical Christianity has no category for faith that doesn't change us. Belief that doesn't transform us. No category. So as individuals, should what we believe transform us by His Holy Spirit? Yes. As the church. Should what we believe change us to be more like Jesus? Yes. And then it says, here's the results of sound behavior. Three of them. Look at verse 5. The end of verse 5 says that the word of God may not be reviled. Paul to young Titus says, Teach the older women to train the younger women to live in such a way that the word is not reviled. In verse 8, he's talking to Timothy, or Titus here and he says, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Live in such a way that the opponent has no evil to say about you and they're put to shame by your life. And then 10, the end of chapter 2 verse 10 says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Sound doctrine produces sound behavior by the work of God's Spirit and what Paul is saying to young Titus here, he's saying the content of your character at home or at work will either validate or chip away at the very gospel we preach. Man, they really believe this thing to be true. I might need to look into that. They don't believe what they say. Is that challenging, church? The way that we live is a tool of witness to the truthfulness of the gospel of God and his word. The way that I live matters because it's an evidence of what I believe or what I say I believe. Our faithful actions in the economy of God are meant to be a tool and witness to the truthfulness of Scripture and the gospel we claim. And Henry Newbigin says it this way, he says, the best apologetic of the gospel is a church that believes it, lives it, and proclaims it. Church family, I want to I be a church. I want to be a person, but I want us to be a church that believes it, lives it, and proclaims it. Sound doctrine. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, doctrine is just so divisive. You know, causes, causes fights and fusses. Doctrine is just so divisive. But I just want to tell you, church family, third thing is is that that sound doctrine unites God's church. It unites God's church. I hear doctrine divides, the gospel unites. So just focus on the gospel. What is the gospel? It's doctrine. Knucklehead? You can't have the gospel without sound doctrine. you got to focus on sound doctrine to have a sound gospel. Otherwise, it's a false one. And I remember Paul in Galatians 1, he says, if anybody comes to you and says, hey, there's another gospel, let that guy be cursed. So far from the truth. In fact, he can't have the gospel without having sound doctrine. Who is God? What's his nature? What is the Bible? How how did I get here and why do I exist? How can a person be saved? We better have some good answers to tough questions. What's the Bible expect of me? What is a family? Well, those are just, that's all narrow-minded. No. They're divisive. No. They're unifying. A healthy church needs sound doctrine. Amos 3.3 in 3, the King James says it this way, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Sound doctrine. And, and for us, the, the Word of God and, and the Baptist faith and message help us to walk or worship together, walk together, and work together because we have agreed on central issues of the faith. I mean, just think about it. If we showed up for worship one day and, and we don't agree that God is real, that God's in control, if Christopher stands and sings a song and he says, I don't know, and if Ryan preaches a sermon, he goes, well, is it going to be easy to worship together? If we don't agree that we're created by God in His image with a purpose, is there really a point to live this life? Or am I just the, the equation of a bunch of molecules slamming into one another? Survival of the fittest, strong taking out the weak. If we don't agree that the Bible is God's reliable and trustworthy word, will we agree on truth or morality? Sound doctrine is important. And if we don't agree on is Jesus the only way of salvation, what in the world are we doing here today? Sound doctrine unites God's church. Sound doctrine creates a sound church. And when a church ignores its intake of sound doctrine, it will soon find itself sickly and dying. And so we want to be a church that needs... Runs to, preaches, teaches, believes sound doctrine, lives sound doctrine. And let me land this plane. Let me make it practical. Practical points up here, Mr. James, toward the end, to their brother. Yes, sir. That one we expect people to affirm or come under the Baptist Faith and Message. So if you're going to join here, I'm going to hand you the Baptist Faith and Message. I want to encourage you to read it. And I'm going to say, hey, before you join, let me know what you think. Do you have sticking points? Something you don't understand? Something you're not willing to submit to? Let's talk about that before you join. That's what we mean. We want you to affirm it especially when it comes to our our teachers if you're teaching in any way shape or form we don't just expect you to affirm it or come under it we expect you to teach it and live by it and it's not to keep people out we want them in but we also want to strengthen and protect what we have within second what if you believe that doesn't align with sound doctrine Remember, if what we believe impacts what we do, if sound doctrine produces sound behavior, one of the things that you've got to get at when you see unsound or unhealthy behavior in your life, whether it's little white lies or people pleasing or whatever the sin in your heart is, you've got to find out what you wrongly believe. You've got to train yourself differently according to the Word of God to believe rightly so that you can change your behavior. What if you believe that doesn't align with sound doctrine? And lastly, the world desperately needs us to hold fast to sound doctrine. Our community, our country needs Seneca Baptist Church to hold fast to sound doctrine when it seems that everybody else around us is caving in. We've got to hold fast to it. Tony Evans, I think we have this up on the screen, Tony Evans says, the only firewall left for the saving of this nation is the church. Once that gets breached, there is little hope remaining. We are called to be salt and light in the culture. Let's be nothing less than that. The world needs us to hold fast to sound doctrine, even when it presses against us. Holding tightly to sound doctrine is the most loving thing our church can do for the world. To preach against sin and to plead with people to trust Christ is not unloving. And and what we believe should not adapt and should not change. Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher of the 1600s, when he republished the 1689 Baptist London Baptist Confession for his church, he stood up before his church and this is what he said. This little volume is not issued as an authoritative rule or code of faith whereby you are to be fettered, but as an assistance to you in controversy, a confirmation in faith and a means of edification in righteousness. Here, the younger members of our church will have a body of divinity in small compass, and by means of the scriptural proofs, proofs will be ready to give a reason for the hope that it's in them. Be not ashamed of your faith, he says. Remember, it's the ancient gospel of the martyrs, confessors, reformers, and saints. Above all, it's the truth of God, against which all the gates of hell cannot prevail. Let your lives adorn the faith. Does that sound familiar? Let your example adorn your creed. Above all, live in Christ Jesus and walk in Him, giving credence to no teaching, but that which is manifestly approved of Him, and owned by the Holy Spirit. Cleave fast to the Word of God here mapped out for you. As we close our sermon, Paul, in the next verse, verse 11, would go into something that is important for us today. He would say this, read along with me, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live selfless, or self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, He says. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We come to a section that just lays out the gospel for you. We couldn't save ourselves. So God did something that we couldn't. Sent His own Son to live a sinless life that we should have lived. And die a sinner's death that we actually deserved. And there on the cross and through an empty tomb, His righteousness credited into our accounts, and our sinfulness credited into His. That on the cross he bore the wrath of God. And he said, it is finished. And it was. Bruised and bloodied, broken and drained for you and me. So that you and I might receive all the reward that Christ deserved. Today, there are some of us in this room, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You're lost. You don't know how to be forgiven. You're trying to be good and to make God happy when in fact the only way to be good and to make God happy is through the blood of Jesus. Today, you have an opportunity to trust Christ. Would you stand with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, Just ask the Lord to speak. Ask the Lord to reveal to you the motives and intentions of your heart, your shortcomings, your sins. Don't flatter yourself this morning. Be real with God. It's okay to be real with God. Because when you're real about your sins, God's grace is sufficient for them too. Be honest with him. Be intimate with him. Is there anybody here? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there anybody here today that says, Ryan, I don't know how to be saved. I want to be saved. And today I want to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord. If that's you out there, I just want you to slide up your hand. It's just me looking. I want to be saved today, I want to be forgiven of my sin. Father, bless us as we come into this moment of Lord's Supper. Teach us. Oh, stir up our affections for you. Open our heart wide to you, Lord. Come in. Move and change us. In Jesus' name and the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated.